You are listening to the Bikepacking Buds podcast. Bikepacking Buds aims to connect and build a community of bikepackers throughout the UK. This podcast will share tips and stories of epic and everyday adventures. Hosted by Kat Green and me, Saoirse Potty. Welcome to the first episode of the Bikepacking Buds podcast. My name is Searsha. Each fortnight, myself or Kat will be interviewing a different member of the bikepacking community. We want to share their amazing and diverse stories with the hope that it will inspire future adventures. The episodes will be available on Spotify. Just search Bikepacking Buds and tune in at a time that suits you. Now on with the show. Tonight, I'm going to be speaking to Diane Mulholland. After a 20-year hiatus from cycling, Diane has once again found the bug and this January decided to join a bikepacking trip to the New Forest. The cold temperatures didn't deter Diane and she's now aiming to camp outside for one night each month of the year. We're going to be speaking to Diane about her leap of faith into trying bikepacking in winter, how she's getting on with her challenge and some of the tips that she's learned so far. Diane, welcome to the Bikepacking Buds podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to speak to us and sharing your story. I'd love if we could get started by you giving us a quick introduction. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. It's going to be so much fun. So I'm Diane. Um, I grew up in rural Australia, um, so very different from central London, which is where I live now. And um, I just was really outdoorsy all my childhood and as a teenager and and um, into my 20s and then we moved here to London when I was 30 15 years ago and I sort of didn't really keep doing things so much I did a little bit of camping a little bit of hiking on holidays but I definitely never really explored the local area or England very much and um And I didn't even have a bike for the first eight years that we lived here. I was so scared of London traffic. And then I I did get a bike eventually, but I didn't ride it because I was scared of London traffic. And it sort of just sat growing cobwebs for ages, ages until last year, really. What made you want to start cycling again then? So I had, um, there were a couple of things. Obviously, it was COVID and people were cycling and a um, couple of people that I knew had taken up cycling because of that. And that was making me notice it a little bit more, I think. But the main thing was I injured my Achilles and I wasn't allowed to walk for more than 15 minutes at a time. And that was really annoying. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, basically, I injured it because I'd spent all of 2020 just walking miles and miles and miles wow. in bad shoes. Um, so I wasn't allowed to walk for very long but I was allowed to cycle and the physio encouraged me to get out on my bike because obviously she knew that it was important for me to be outside and um and so I started riding again and this was like Easter time last year and I just realized how much I loved it I can't believe I went for so long without just cycling all the time Um, I always loved it and yeah it just gives me so much joy to be on my bike so 
I cycled through the summer, started exploring a bit further. I, I really deliberately made myself get more confident in traffic and I would venture a little bit further each day. And then I started cycling at night, which I'd never done. Um, I still don't really like it, but I can do it now. I feel confident. And then in September, I suggested to my husband that we go take our bikes to the Isle of Wight. So we did that and it was amazing. And that was kind of where it all really kicked off. And you had some, am I right in saying when you're growing up, you had that kind of outdoorsy background and you'd um, done some camping and you were experienced in, in that sense? Yeah, definitely. My parents always took us camping. Um, we didn't really, I don't think we ever had a holiday where we stayed in hotels or anything. We sometimes stayed with relatives, but it was more really sort of necessity than um, that was particularly what they wanted to do um, because we didn't have the money for hotels. But looking back now, I'm really grateful for that because it was just so much more fun as a kid to just go wild in the bush. And um, and where we lived when I grew up was right in the middle of the mountains and state parks and national parks. And, and basically it was just like hundreds of square kilometres of wilderness that was right outside our back gate, literally. Um, so that was where we went and it was incredible. And then it, when I was at university, I started doing more stuff with friends, backpacking and a little bit of hiking. And I think, but even back then, I've been thinking a bit about this. It, it was, I cycled more for necessity because I didn't really drive. It was more, you know, I, I cycled a lot when I was at uni, but less so once I got a car and, and now I'm really remembering how much I cycle just for fun and finding that joy in it rather than doing it because it's the only option, if that makes sense. Um, same with the camping. Like I just love being outside and camping and feeling self-sufficient with my own little house rather than doing it because I can't afford to go on a holiday into a hotel. I've got a, a smile on my face the whole time you're talking because it's just so heartwarming I guess it's really nice to oh nice yeah that you've like rediscovered that love that you know you, uh, you were saying as a child we had a conversation before this started and you were saying as a child you'd have to cycle like miles to get to a shop or into a school <laughs> yeah. and now now it's like something that you do for that brings you happiness and joy and that's yeah. actually quite a good um transition to our next question so for every guest that comes on, we ask them to present a picture or for the cover that represents a time when they felt pure joy or freedom or a nice memory of them in a bike. You've chosen this incredible picture of you standing on top of a trig point. You're absolutely beaming. Your bike is leant up against the trig point. It's fully laden. So it's got really large waterproof panniers on the back. Um, can you tell us more about this photograph you've chosen and the reason and the memories behind it? Yeah, it was it was such an incredible day. Um, it was very recent, actually. It was on my March bikepacking trip, which was just a couple of weeks ago. I've always liked being on top of things. When I was a kid, I used to walk around the top of the post and rail fences and our cattle yards and get up on the hay shed roof and all those things that you're not supposed to do when you're a kid 
climbing trees and I just liked being up high and I've loved mountains always and um, I was riding that day with my friend Itzy who obviously you know from Bikebucking Buds she knows the area really well so she was kind of navigating for us and I'm like oh I want to go up Ditchling Beacon because I know it's you know a hill and I like hills um, <laughs> and we got we it was so steep <laughs> it was insane she had warned me she's like oh it's gonna be a, we might not make it up anyway she did make it up um, which I was incredibly impressed with she rode all the way up but my bike was loaded up because I'd camped yeah. and I pushed it all the way to the top and then we rode a little bit along the South Downs way to to um, where it crosses the road and I we stopped there and Itzy was like okay we can go this way now I'm like but we're not at the top of the hill <laughs> and I made her go all the way to the trig point I'm like I'm not going three quarters of the way up the hill and then not finishing it <laughs> and we had to ride across the grass um it was like where's the trig point it's over there and I got there and I think I hugged it when I got there oh and I said I'm going to get on top of it um and so I did and then she took photos of me and I took photos of her because obviously once I'd got on top of it she did as well and it just is the best feeling to be right up on top of the world like that and I you said before your face was you know you were smiling and yeah. my face is just like yeah grinning again like it was in that photo I just cannot get over how much happiness I have in moments like that and it's so amazing that you can share that sense of achievement with somebody else too you know you both have that memory it's yeah great. and what you I'm just looking at your picture what kind of bike have you got there I can see it's got flat handlebars but I can't really see the rest of it is it a touring bike a mountain bike gravel um it's a hybrid um from white and um I got it in November um I was looking to upgrade my sort of rubbish city hybrid commuter bike and um, I have some trouble with my neck, so I'm not really supposed to ride with drop handlebars. So I went for another hybrid, a better one though, and I just love it. Um, it handles really nicely. It's got quite a long body. It is really steady. I mean, I've ridden it on some really gnarly terrain, fully loaded with my bikepacking kit. Um, and it's great as long as I don't try to swerve in very soft. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, it's just it, it, it surprises me every time I take it out um, because it's just such a good bike and you know people I think every so often I think oh maybe I should get a gravel bike and then I remember I'm not allowed and then I'm like but why would I it's serving me really well it's the correct bike for me and the more I ride it the more I'm really grateful for the guy in the bike shop who recommended that I get that one. I think that's a really important point about trying to find the bike that you like that fits you and you're happy with um, definitely and you mentioned you went to the Isle of Wight was that like did you take that bike you took you had another bike before that or um yeah so I have two bikes now I'm a two bike person oh. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I would be um I so i the Isle of Wight, I rode my old bike, which I now call Clunker, which is a bit oh. sad, but <laughs> it is a bit clunky. Um, and it was just, you know, one of those, like, it wasn't super cheap, but it wasn't expensive. It's just a bike for hacking around London. 
Um, so that's what I had. And I did the Isle of Wight on that and it was fine. Definitely not as smooth a ride as my new bike. And, um, but it was, yeah, again, another hybrid with some reasonably, like not gravel tyres, but tyres that are designed to handle a little bit of off-road as well as not being too slow on the road. That's, I've been to the Isle of Wight recently and there are a lot of hills on the Isle of Wight. Really yeah. beautiful scenery. Yeah. But. <laughs> oh, it was, I mean, it was just gruesome. Yeah. Um, we, and I mean, as I said, I was only just get back, getting back into cycling last year. So I wasn't that fit or strong yet. And um, we just, we stayed in Ventnor and anyone who's been there will know that that's where the hills are. Uh, we didn't know oh, that. Been. <laughs> we were coming down, the, we, we got the ferry across um, from Southampton and we rode pretty much directly south to Ventnor. Um, there's a really lovely bike trail through the centre of the Isle of Wight and, um, and we can see the, the downs in the distance the oh, whole time. Dear. Like, oh, my God, <laughs> going up there. And then as we were riding down into Ventnor, I'm just like, I'm never going to be able to go up this hill again. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to leave Ventnor. It's just... And then, of course, we did get up that hill again because we had to cycle up it every day when we went places um, from Ventnor and back you, again. You must have been so strong afterwards. Um, I was quite <laughs> sore afterwards. <laughs> we, did go, we did go very slowly and we did. Um, so the, the day we rode there, um was sort of what we called a longish day it was probably only about 18 miles but for me then that was really big um and then we had a day where we kind of just bummed around and then we did a 42 mile ride to the needles and back and that was really pushing my limits I mean we spent the whole day doing it um and made it there made it back but it was very very hilly and I was um probably getting a little emotional occasionally but <laughs> my husband's really good and really supportive and he'll just go a bit slower and we can stop whenever we want to and now I mean six months later now like I just popped out for 25 miles doing laps of Richmond Park on the weekend and I can't believe the difference just how much stronger I've got and just from putting in the time and doing rides and I've never really done sort of training I just go out riding because I love it and and now I'm really strong and it's amazing that's absolutely incredible it's so nice to have that um to be able to look back and be like wow I can't believe how how far I've come and how how much of it you know how much stronger I feel within myself and it's all just slowly occurs without even you realizing it it's just through having going on fun adventures that you build yeah. up this fitness which is amazing absolutely and actually just thinking about it again I, I did a half marathon once and I hated it and I hated all the training <laughs> and I do like running yeah um, and I love running trails and being in pretty places and on top of hills <laughs> um, but I hated the half marathon I didn't I felt like I was training and doing work the whole time whereas with the cycling like yes I've got fitter and I've got stronger but I've never felt like I was training I'm just like I'm going for a ride and yeah. I'm going up this hill because I want to see the view from the top and it's kind of just every ride has been a joy as opposed to a slog which it was when I did that half marathon 
and that's just so much better for me like why would I do a half marathon (laughs) (laughs) I want to take you back to the start of this year so you and I actually met when we did the new forest camp out together and I remember beforehand I shared a post about it and you sent me a message that said this sounds really fun Uh, I really want to go but you're also a bit worried. And I want to take you back to that point. What was it that excited you the most about the prospect of bikepacking in January? And what were you most apprehensive about it? Yeah, it was, um, it wasn't the camping. Um, I've camped in the cold once, car camped um, by accident. That's a a whole other story. Um, We went to Tahoe. We were supposed to go for three nights and we stayed for one because it snowed. Um, Wow. We went home again. (laughs) Anyway, um, I, the camping I was fine with because I've camped a lot, but I've never, um, I'd never been on a big group ride and I'd never sort of just showed up to something where um, I wasn't going to know that many people, but also there were going to be quite a lot of people and um, I was most worried about feeling really overwhelmed by the number of people, but also feeling like I had to kind of be switched on the whole time and, you know, being fun and nice and, you know, mm-hmm. the life of the party, all those like silly things, which I didn't have to be actually. And, um, and what I ended up doing was, I decided not to do the Saturday ride Um, and I just rode by myself on the Saturday, went to the campsite, had a run on the hills um, and then just chilled out and there was one other lady who turned up there about in the afternoon and we had a cup of tea and just chilled out and I also didn't go to the pub for dinner because, again, I just wasn't keen on the idea of... um, being in a big group um not I I don't hear very well in pubs indoors when there's a lot of noise and noisy groups and so I just sort of and then on on the um Sunday I went on the ride the big group ride with everybody else and that was amazing as well and so I kind of because I was so concerned about um overdoing it socially I really sort of parcel out my time it's like this is time by myself and this is time with one or two people and this is time in a group and actually it was it turned out to be the most amazing balance um instead of sort of thinking well if I if I'm going on the trip I have to go on the whole trip and that's what people expect of me and so on and um yeah so it it did work out really well in the end apart from being too cold because I didn't (laughs) take enough to sleep in (laughs) That's it's a really really interesting point and actually you're not the first person to have raised that with the the group riding is actually sometimes cycling's like a a solace like where you're you can you're on your own you can take it in and you know you're in nature you and your bike and it's that mindful period and I absolutely love riding in groups and I find like I love the social element I do sometimes find when I'm when it's um over I'm absolutely exhausted like yeah just exhausted from just like chatting and it's great but it is tiring especially I think since you know we've come out of a pandemic where we've all been 
you know in our own little bubbles um, and yeah. not had that those large groups are almost you know foreign and alien to us so it's it's really cool to hear that you know you saw what things where your comfort zone was and then actually took the self-care to say okay this is time I'm going to allocate to myself this is how I'm going to um, give myself that if you know what I mean yeah definitely and a few people asked me um oh why aren't you coming to the pub or why didn't you come to the pub and I just said I I just needed to have some peace and quiet by myself and make sure I don't overdo it and everyone was amazing about it um and I think that's the that was the biggest thing for me like just you know nobody's really ever going to question something like that it's only me and my sense of expectations you know telling myself I, sh I should be able to do this or I should do that or whatever um and the other thing I mean I, I discovered that riding on my own was really amazing <laughs> I, I, hadn't, I hadn't really done that very much I mean I've been doing it a lot in London um but you know just always in familiar places and like quite often it's about doing errands or riding on my own to meet somebody else at the other end kind of thing um and that was really one of the first times I'd just ridden out on my own um and it was only you know from the station to the campsite um, and I really loved it. And actually on, on my March trip, um, I did the longest ride I'd ever done on my own. And it was incredible. Um, I don't know if you want to go straight into that story. Before we go on to the March trip, you obviously enjoyed your new forest or your, your winter bikepacking experience because you've since gone out and done more. What was the most challenging part and what did you most enjoy about the trip? I think probably the most challenging part was trusting the trains okay, and knowing yes. that I could get there and get back. Mm -hmm. um, and actually I'd been, I'd been looking out for, a, I'd wanted to join the new forest group for a while and I'd been looking at the rides and the dates and looking for a party pace ride on a day when there were trains. And um, I, it was a big, um anxiety barrier for me for a long time traveling and trains and um feeling that sense of what if I get stuck somewhere um and I went through a lot of that before the January trip in my head and with a couple of people close to me and really it came down to you know the worst thing that could happen if I got stuck somewhere was I could just camp another night because I had my tent. <laughs> you know, so, like, even the worst case scenario wasn't that bad. Like, I could just come back the next day or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it's the by far the furthest I've ever taken my bike. Um, it's the first time I travelled with my bike on a train by myself, and yeah, so yeah, that definitely was the biggest hurdle and now it just feels really easy I do it all the time for day trips or overnights do you have any top tips for people because I was in the same situation and actually I find myself driving places I didn't need to drive because I, I could have taken the train but I, I was stressed out about the idea of public transport and my bike and just lots of different things mm -hmm. is there anything you'd say to somebody in that situation 
so I mean this is not a very useful tip but don't take Great Western Railway (laughs) 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 because a you have to book your bike on and b the bike slots are terrible this is what I've heard I've never done it yet um so I mean so to reverse that by not making it a negative like I would say definitely build confidence, which is what I've been doing by going on the train services where you can just take your bike on. Um, so Southern, Southeastern, I've been looking into the trains down to Kent and they're all basically, yeah, you can take your bike on if it's not crowded, if it's not peak hour and you don't have to book. Oh, amazing. Um, and how do they have... Um like a separate carriage for it then or is it still within those little two you know the hang up things uh no none of them are hang up um, most of them have a bike space a couple of bike spaces so there'll be like quite often you know where they have those big toilets with the curvy yep. doors um it's quite often there um, and maybe two of those on a train or maybe three and then they have straps Um, either velcro straps or like the ones that retract and you just put your bike against the wall and you put the strap around and that holds it and they're just amazing Um, and if you can't get in one of those then you just kind of have to stand with your bike but I've never not got on a train in fact coming back from the February bikepacking trip there was I think five of us all getting on a train there were already people on the train with bikes we ended up with so many bikes on the train <laughs> I ended up not fitting my bike in a bike space and ended up just standing in the vestibule mm. um moving my bike every time people Someone needed to get in. in and out um but it was fine and um the conductors were really nice I'm not keen on booking a specific train in general because I'm always worried about missing trains and if you have to book a bike slot, then you've booked a specific train. So I've been trying to avoid that so far. But, I, you know, I've done quite a few trips now and I think that has built my confidence up enough. Well, I hope it has because I'm going to Wales in June. Oh, oh yeah. that sounds fun. Yeah, I find the same thing. It's like you build up anxieties about something and then you do it and you're like, oh, okay. Why was I yeah. worried about that? It wasn't actually that bad. And then you're like, yeah. okay, cool. I've got this now. Yeah, as long as the steps in between the things are the right size, mm-hmm. then it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, I'm not trying to, like, go straight for the end goal all at once. So since bikepacking in January, you have decided to take on Cycling UK's 12 Nights Out in One Year Challenge. For those that are listening that aren't aware of what the challenge, could you just give a brief overview of what it is? Yeah. Um, it's challenge for insane people. <laughs> um, tell me, your water bottle was frozen on Sunday morning, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, I saw. I just sort of already planned to go on the January trip, and then I saw the post about the twelve nights out, and I'm like, yes, this is brilliant, and I've already got my January planned and ticked off. And actually, a friend had already sort of semi-planned the, a February trip for her birthday wow. at that point which we ended up doing. So that was January and February kind of already sorted that other people organised that I didn't have to organise. So that was a really great start. And I think it would have been harder if that hadn't been the case. So it's April now. So you said January of the New Forest, 
February, you did something with your friend. You know, what have you done for the other months and what have you got in the pipeline for the rest then? Um, yeah, I, I just remembered you asked me to explain to people who didn't know what the challenge was, which I totally didn't do. So <laughs> I will do that now, which is to camp out, um, to take your bike out overnight once a month for the whole year. So 12 nights out. Um, and it's being run by Cycling UK. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, it's their their initiative to I think get people out and I think it's like spend a night under the stars, which is quite a nice thought isn't it it is and actually there's been lots of stars I mean I absolutely incredible it's amazing I'm used to seeing stars from growing up like Mm -hmm. where I grew up there was billions um and there are no stars in London I mean I can go a whole year without seeing stars (laughs) and it's just mad um so that's been nice so yeah so February did an overnight in the North Downs near Winchester okay um with a couple of friends and then March was the trip that I did down to Brighton where we climbed up Ditchling Beacon um and that one as I was saying before was the first time I'd ridden that far on my own which was actually a really big deal and it was because Itzy had hoped to come for two days, but she wasn't well enough on the Saturday, so she just decided to join me on the Sunday. So that meant that I cycled by myself the first day and camped by myself, and they were both things I had never done before. And the the camping, I was sort of fine with because I'd camped so much. Um, I thought I might be a little bit nervous on my own, but actually I wasn't at all. Um, And the cycling by myself, I really couldn't have done it except that I've been learning a lot about looking after my own bike lately which also started because of the new forest group because they started posting about the bike maintenance workshops they were doing with Vicky and I thought oh well I can do that and I started doing things like changing my own brake pads and cleaning my bike and figuring out what was happening if it was making a certain noise and things like that and it just made me feel so much more confident that if I was cycling on my own and something happened that I would know what to do and know whether it was serious or not and because quite often something isn't serious but if you don't know then you can't sort of you don't know whether you should keep going or stop or so yeah that that made a massive difference and I loved it. I loved the whole day on my own. I could stop whenever I felt like it and take a picture of every single tree if I wanted to. <laughs> and I chatted to some really lovely people. I got some water from a guy who was washing his car and his kids came and asked me about my bike and they were asking me, you know, is that your tent and are you going to camp and do you have food in your bags? And we had just such a lovely conversation and I wouldn't probably have done that if I'd been with other people because I would have been talking to them it's a completely different experience isn't it absolutely an amazing amazing first of all that you mentioned about the the mechanical uh, of course that New Forest Off-Road Club run and I think there's like a few um, throughout the country they're trying to do the same kind of thing mm-hmm. for people in the local area and how that has helped build your self-confidence and your how self-sufficient you feel um, yeah that you absolutely. can go out and take on those you know take on those challenges and 
feel confident doing so is really really cool yeah definitely um and actually i've i've booked onto one of the case courses to do the next level up from sort of the things that i've learned so far um I haven't actually done anything that required pulling things apart yet because <laughs> <laughs> I don't really, I mean, you know, YouTube is great, but if I pull yes. things apart and can't put them back together, YouTube can't do that for me. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. I'm trying to learn a couple of like, you know, I can fix a puncture now and I want to learn more than just fix a puncture mm-hmm. and I can watch a YouTube video and take something apart. But I honestly, then I'm going to have to walk to my bike shop and be like, I've broken my bike. <laughs> That would be like the most humiliating thing ever. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's probably going to be me. But yeah, that's um, big on the list, isn't it? To just just have that self-belief that if something goes wrong, you have it and you've got it, everything's under control and you know what to do. Definitely. Yeah, really awesome. And our last thing, what we are going to do is ask our guests to share some of their knowledge that they've picked up Diane, as someone who is confident with camping and backpacking, but only recently started bikepacking again, what would be your top tip for someone who has experienced camping before but not tried bikepacking? I think really the biggest thing, the biggest trap that people can fall into is thinking that they need all the stuff that everybody else has right from the start. And... um, and that's actually not true. You really don't need very much. And it's quite possible that you have most of the things that you need or you can borrow them from a friend or from the people you're going bikepacking with. I'm, I'm really big on sustainability and trying not to buy lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had all my camping equipment already because of hiking. Um, and so really the only thing I needed to buy was panniers, which I was fine with buying because I'm using them all the time in the city anyway there's been other things that I've seen people using and I'm like oh I could get that because it's more bike specific rather than hiking and then I think like "Mm, I could but then I've just got two things that are kind of similar both sitting in my house being used half the amount of time and I just I feel quite strongly about not adding to the stuff that gets made and bought and not over purchasing that makes sense so I would say definitely um, be really savvy about what you need to buy what you have already that you can repurpose or you know get away with to begin with and then have a few trips and then once you've been on a few trips you're going to know way more about what you really like to use what setup works for you Um, you get a chance to see what other people are using and that's when you can start investing in things that really change your setup. Like I've recently added a front bar bag because I could put more stuff on the back of my bike, but what I hadn't taken into account was it's more important to balance the weight forward and back. So yes, I could have put something else on my pannier rack, but that puts all the weight into the back of my bike. Like, But I didn't need to buy that bag straight up just because everybody has a front bag or somebody said this is the perfect bikepacking setup and you should do it this way because that might be perfect for them but not for me. I 100% agree with everything you just said there. 
it's good because you as you go along then you pick up you pick up tips from other people as well so like um before our new forest ride Meredith had a really good way of managing to get her sleeping bag and everything in and my friend over the weekend was showing me how they store like little sweets and stuff in the covid the actual clear covid yeah, packages yes, which that. was awesome I know just... that Meredith's thing I totally do that now uh, one of the other things about bike packing compared to hiking is with hiking I wasn't that fussed about like the space that stuff took up but with the bike packing, I'm much more concerned about how much space the things I have take up. And so I bought a dry bag that I now shove my pillow and my sleeping bag into and basically just like muscle them down. <laughs> the, the stronger I get from more cycling, the smaller I can get that dry bag. And it takes up like half the space, which is brilliant. Size does matter. um and I just want to get back to your point about um you know not necessarily having all the kit and kind of working that out Um, because I know before my first bike packing trip I was super lucky to have friends that were camping and could lend me stuff they let me sleep in bags and I think we've all can empathize with being in that situation where you just don't have everything you feel the pressure to have everything um and for anyone out there that's listening and perhaps doesn't have all the equipment but wants to come on a trip um just shoot us a message at bikepacking buds and we'll be able to like cobble something together so i don't want that to be you know a, a big barrier to someone giving bikepacking a go because as you said that's you go out you try what you have and then you know some things you can get away with having a cheaper alternative some things you're like okay this is going to be worth the investment I'm going to save up and buy you know uh, a really decent sleeping bag which is something <laughs> I've got to invest in but yeah. yeah it's it's trying to find that balance of what's what's actually necessary and what's not necessary and you don't have to have all the flashes kit you just need to figure out what's right for you and what's right for what you want to do if you want to just camp in the summer and then you don't necessarily need a big thick winter sleeping bag and actually on that I after the January trip I'm like okay my sleeping bag's not warm enough if I want to camp in winter um, which like, is fair because when we bought them we thought we were only going to use them in summer so mm-hmm. they're like two seasons sleeping bags um, but I started looking at three and four season sleeping bags I'm like how often am I going to yeah. use this really um, so I just took my husband's sleeping bag and slept inside two Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. yep. exactly the <laughs> same. Like, it's fine. I, I have this second sleeping bag already, which he's not using because he's not camping until April, <laughs> which he made very clear when I started this journey. <laughs> I'm like, there's not going to be any time when I need the thick sleeping bag and he's using his. So there's my solution and it works fine just talking about April you are planning to go out and you actually have opened up this trip to other people I'm putting you on the spot here but would you like to just share a bit about the the children's trip that you've got coming up yep absolutely um so theoretically Neil is coming on that trip (laughs) (laughs) so we're just doing one night um it's pretty quick to get out to the Chilterns from London Mm -hmm. I think the train we're catching is like half an hour and I've never been there I keep it just kind of keeps coming up on my radar um 
people go, they're like, oh, I did a day of hiking in the children's. I'm like, oh, I've always meant to go there. And so anyway, this will be the time that we actually go to the children's. And I just been looking at maps and getting on commute and planning things and then planning other things. And, and I thought, okay, we want X size trip from somewhere we can get a train to easily. And I just, I absolutely love commute for that. I'm using it for all of these trips. You just like stick in some destinations and see where it routes you. And um, the little like suggestions that other people who use commute have made, like click on them. If they look nice, go that way. (laughs) Um, And it's worked for me really well so far, except for that one stretch of really, really, really deep mud that I went through in March. But yeah, so we're doing a couple of 55K days camping on the night in between. We're doing a loop back to the same train station to head back to London. And yeah, there's a couple of spots left in the trip there are going to be a lot of hills mm-hmm. I did I try to route it around I love the way Commute tells you like how steep the hills are mm-hmm. and stuff. I tried to go around the ones that came up as red on the <laughs> radio map and you can't like you just can't yeah. there's some that you can't I kept trying different roads and they were all red so we'll just walk up that one that's fine I live near the Chilterns and the views are stunning, but you do have to, you earn the views. You have to do yeah. some some steep hills. But yeah, I um I use commute for all of my off, I think it's really good for the off-road thing mm-hmm. because you have those highlights. And then yeah. sometimes you can you can be like somebody's put a link being really muddy, don't go this way in winter. Yeah. And you're like, thank you. Yes. <laughs> The only um, thing I wish people would do is like they put in a section and they're like fantastic descent. I'm like, well, yeah. which way is the descent? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> going yeah. up the hill or down the hill if I go in this direction. But I mean, it, you know, I can read the topography and know that, but that's a lot of effort. Oh, thank you, Deanne, so much for joining and sharing your story on our very first episode. Oh, you're um, welcome. I've had so much fun chatting. Yeah, it's been great. It's been very, very easy, a lot more easier than I thought it was going to be. I was quite nervous about um, hosting a first episode, but it's been well, super cool. really well. Hmm. Um, thank you if you want to hear more about Diane's story or hear some more of her tips just follow us at Bikepacking Buds on Instagram or Facebook where we'll make the show notes available um, and if you've enjoyed listening please hit subscribe give us a good rating each fortnight we're hoping to speak to a different member of the bikepacking community in the UK so if you know anyone that has an interesting story to share we would love to hear from you adios amigos bye <laughs>